uh, coming to his house to worship, he had a slave, and his slave was Onesimus. And we understand the story. Onesimus ran away. He ran about a thousand miles away, trying to hide from Philemon, hoping he could never go back to a slave owner. Because if Philemon caught him, he could be tortured. He could be killed even in the backyard. Philemon had that right in the Roman Empire. But while Onesimus is in Rome, he meets the Apostle Paul somehow. He hears the gospel and he believes. And now Paul says to, uh, to Onesimus, Onesimus, yes, you, you have... Again, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I just had to turn my microphone on. Paul said, can you imagine the conversation? Onesimus, you, now that you know Jesus as your Savior, you are a new creation. Your work will change, your attitude will change, your outlook will change. But there's one thing. You need to go back to Philemon and make it right. You need to go back with repentance and confession and make it right with your slave owner, Philemon. So Paul writes this letter so that Onesimus can carry it into the house, give it to Philemon. Philemon could read it, and we pray Philemon would then receive and restore Onesimus back into the house. So we see some reasons why we should forgive. Verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. I mentioned that this morning. Paul says, Philemon, you have a great debt towards me, a huge debt. I gave you the gospel, you responded in faith, and you have eternal life. Now you can, in turn, go to Onesimus and forgive him his sin against you. Since you have received the great gift of grace of God, you need to turn around and forgive others. And it was the story of Matthew 18, the man who, owned, who owed a debt of $7 billion. It would take over 200,000 years to, to um, pay it off. He is forgiven that whole debt, and yet he turns around and he, he grabs the throat of a fellow servant and says, you must pay me the 12000 you owe me. And uh, he would not take no for an answer. And so the king said, you wicked servant, I forgave you a large debt. Can you not, re- can you not then forgive a small debt? You'll be cast into, into prison until you can pay your debt in full. So the Heavenly Father will do to all of us who do not forgive one another. So forgiveness is required of us. It's a command. We are to forgive as Jesus Christ has forgiven us. And so that's our responsibility. And we have to always remember, Jesus paid a huge offense. All the offenses I've had against him, he has forgiven completely. Anybody who offends me or hurts me here on earth, I have to be able to to um, bring about forgiveness and restoration. There's another reason why we should forgive. Verse 20, Yes, brethren, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. You have a great impact in other lives when we forgive and restore relationships. It brings joy to the whole church, refreshment to others. Just like somebody who doesn't forgive brings grief and sorrow to everybody. So somebody who does forgive and restore Great joy happens when we walk in truth. Verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Isn't that great? That Onesimus um, will be treated in even a greater abundance because Paul says, Philemon, I know you're not just going to forgive the man. You will actually do it abundantly. And that's the way that I would like to see forgiveness take place. Abundant, lavish, reception and restoration. And then the whole church celebrates and and great joy is a result. Now, 
And this is where we ended this morning. Why should we forgive? Because Paul says, listen, I have confidence in your obedience. It's simply being obedient to Christ. And who wants to be disobedient? Not I. I want to please Christ. I make it my goal or aim to be, to be a Christ pleaser. And so we want to obey the Lord. Now look at the next verse. Here's our new section for tonight, verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Listen, here's another reason why we should forgive. We're accountable to one another for our behavior. No man is an island. Romans 14 says no man lives for himself, no man dies for himself. What I do affects everybody. Do you realize that? Listen, pray for me as your pastor. Because I cannot tell you how many times during the week somebody will say, well, I saw you driving, I saw you at the gas station, I saw you at school, I saw you at the church, I saw you outside the church. People are watching me all the time. And they're observing, what do I do? How do I speak? And so what I do doesn't just affect me, and it doesn't just affect me and Melissa. It affects me and Melissa. It affects your families. It affects the community. I have, I have heard and, and know of pastors who have fallen that it just destroys the reputation of Jesus in the community. It destroys the church. It destroys families. They're no longer serving in church, and it's been decades There was a pastor in our area who some 20 years ago committed a a grievous sin and as a result lost his family and the church broke apart. And many of those people still to this day would never set foot in a church to worship God publicly, to study his word, and to live out the life in Christ. So it's, but it's not just me as a pastor, it's you as well. How you live affects everybody. It affects the church's testimony. It affects one another. Boy, that's why faithfulness, just faithfulness is so critical, isn't it? Just being here and being a part of the assembly, there's nothing greater. So Paul says, listen, Philemon, why should you forgive Onesimus? Because I'm showing up at your house. And when I show up at your house, I want to see how the home life is going. Kind of like how Pastor Randy said, do you want to hear about Pastor, I don't know how he said it, about, you know, do you want to know anything about Pastor Brian? Because he lived with us for a week. Yeah, he, he knows a lot about us just by living with us and traveling around with us. And we're the same with him as we are with anybody. And, and he's the same goofy character as, as he is around everybody. So, but that's the idea. Paul says, Philemon, I'm com- I'm pl- I plan on coming to your house, and I'm going to hold you accountable. Will you do what Christ asks? I'm going to keep you accountable. So there's great accountability in the church, which is why if somebody's not here, there's just no accountability. True? You're not here faithfully, then there's just no accountability. You can be doing anything, and, and nobody would know. But here, we're keeping check and keeping accountable with one another. But listen to this. We'll see more about that in the next verse. Paul says this, For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Wait a minute. Where is Paul? He's in prison in a rented house. He doesn't know when he's going to get out. He's appealed to Caesar, but the trial hasn't been yet. He doesn't know if he's getting out, but he says this, Philemon, I know that when you pray, and you pray to God for my release, God will answer your prayer, and I will get released. Does Paul believe in prayer? Does he believe that God is moved by the prayers of the saints? Yes. So if Philemon doesn't forgive Onesimus, he has not obeyed Christ, and when he prays, will God hear him? No. And if God doesn't hear him when he prays, will Paul get out? No. So it's a domino effect. Philemon, if you don't forgive, 
You can pray all you want, but God won't hear you. God won't hear you. I won't get out. I don't get out. I can't come see you to encourage you. The whole thing falls apart. Be right with God. Pray, and God will answer. I mean, I think this is great. He also told the Philippians, you Philippians, by your prayers, I'm getting out of prison. Wow, what a man confident in prayer. So I think, he's, I think when Philemon reads this verse, he's now thinking, I know what forgiveness looks like. I'm never going to mention the sin to Onesimus. I'm not going to mention the sin to myself, and I'm not going to mention it to others. Not only that, but I know why I should forgive. God has forgiven me a great debt. I can forgive Onesimus. I need to be obedient to the commands of Christ, and I have accountability. Other people are watching me to see what I will do. And when I do right, and then I pray, God will answer and hear my prayer according to his will. So look at verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Now who is Epaphras? Some more accountability. If, if Epaphras is here, listening as Paul is writing, and as he's dictating the letter, Epaphras knows what's going on. How would you guys like to know, how would you like everybody to know your business? Isn't that kind of weird? If everybody would, but see, that's the way it really is. Like, for Melissa and I, everybody knows our, our life. Everybody knows our, uh, what we do. And our lives are pretty much transparent and out in the open. Um, you guys know when I go on vacation. You guys know when I don't go on vacation. You guys know how much money we make. You guys know where, where we are and what we're doing. I mean, there's just so much accountability, and that's good. That's a, a good thing. So here, Epaphras knows what's going on. But who is Epaphras? In Colossians chapter 1, let's go back to Colossians, just to see a couple of verses here. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. I don't know if you know much about Epaphras, but Epaphras is, I believe, the pastor of the Colossian church. Philemon, I don't think, was the pastor. I think he was the owner of the house that the church met in. But go to Colossians chapter 1. Look with me at verse 7. Colossians 1, verse 7. In speaking about the gospel, Paul says this to the Colossians. Of course, Onesimus and Philemon were Colossians. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Now, the word minister isn't like a reverend, but it's the servant. The idea is he's a faithful servant. But it says they learned the gospel and the way of living in Christ from Epaphras, which sounds like he's the pastor. So probably Epaphras is the pastor of the church, a dear fellow servant. And then if you look at, um, hold your place there, because we'll keep looking in the book of Colossians. But Epaphras then, Paul says, he is my fellow prisoner in Christ. He greets you. Now Philemon's thinking, not only does Paul know my business, but Epaphras does. And if I don't forgive and restore the relationship, I have accountability with Paul, but my own pastor, Epaphras, is going to be involved. He'll know and he'll encourage me. Then, looking at, and I'm still in Philemon, but we'll be back because you'll see these words appear again. Verse 24, as do Mark... Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow laborers. Boy, he just rattles out four names here. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. So who knows about this issue with Philemon and Onesimus? Well, practically, everybody in the Colossian church, everybody in Rome, everybody at the prison. I mean, everybody knows Philemon and Onesimus' issues, don't they? If Paul and Epaphras don't get involved, well, then there's always John Mark. Who is John Mark? Mark is the writer of the second gospel. 
He was one who followed the Apostle Peter and ministered with Peter, it appears, at different times. But um, he's the one that, in Paul's first missionary journey, left early and went home. So he has a lot going on in his life. And here, Mark is in Rome, and he's like, hey, let's pray for Philemon and Onesimus that this could be resolved and the whole church could be strengthened. So Mark knows about it. Aristarchus. Aristarchus is a Macedonian. He's from Thessalonica. He's traveling with the Apostle Paul on his journeys too. And remember when Paul is uh, in Ephesus and all the magicians burn their books in the city square because they trust Jesus as their Savior and they get rid of all their idolatry and their magic? Um, Then there's such a a tumult and and a revolt in Ephesus that they grab Gaius and Aristarchus and bring him into the theater there in in Ephesus, and they want Paul to show up because they want death. They want blood. Um, They're angry that Paul has so upset the silversmith trade with the idols of Diana, all of that. Well, Aristarchus is in the middle of the ministry with Paul. He's he's suffering. He's traveling. He's doing much with Paul. But here, he ends up in Rome ministering to the Apostle Paul in this rented house. Aristarchus, Aristarchus knows what's going on. Who's Demas? Demas, again, is a laborer with Paul. We all, here's what we know. He's probably from Thessalonica. And him and Paul worked together many times, planting churches, strengthening churches. I bet many times Paul would preach and then Demas would preach. And who knows what kind of ministry that they had together as a team. But in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, Demas has left me. He has left the ministry having loved this present world. I think when it weighed out... Did Demas love the world system or did he love the suffering of Christ with Paul? Demas at one point just said, I can't handle it anymore. I'm going back to the world. I love this present age. I like what I can get out of it more than what I'm getting with Paul. So Demas, here, he's still in good favor, but soon he will depart. And then Luke, we know Luke to be the physician that accompanied the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey and others. And he's the writer of the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So you have a lot of accountability, don't you? We need that. We need that accountability with one another. Um, In 1 Corinthians 14, we've covered this at length over the years, but there's some key words. The first key word in 1 Corinthians 14 is edification. Do everything to build up one another. All right? So if we're not here, we can't build one another up. And this, the whole idea of accountability, it's building one another up. Relationships are bad, let's get them fixed. Um, things need to be dealt with, let's deal with them. If we don't deal with them, they become a root that springs up and defiles the whole church. And then God can't do anything here. He cannot do anything. He needs a pure church. He needs a blameless church in our community. So, there's accountability. So we have all these reasons why we should forgive. And then, okay, and I have you in Colossians. Let's go to Colossians 4 since you're there. Colossians chapter 4. Look very carefully at verse 7. Colossians 4, verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. It appears Tychicus and Onesimus leave Rome together to go back to Philemon's house. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, so there's our runaway slave, 
a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. He's a Colossian. They will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, we already heard about him in Philemon. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark. There's John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, the second writer of the gospel, the second gospel, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, we already saw him, he's probably the pastor of the church, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Here's what he wanted. His goal as a pastor, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Boy, that is so true. I would love everybody affiliated with Faith Baptist Church to stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Be where you, are, where, be where you should be in the center of God's will accomplishing what he wants you to do. And so you see all of these people, uh, verse 13, I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. He's passionate for the believers in Colossae and for those who are in Laodicea and in Aeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So we have a lot of connections with Colossians. So there's accountability. And then let's end with Philemon. Go back to Philemon for the last verse. Back to Philemon for the closing, verse 25. I think by this time Philemon's sobbing. Maybe he's reading the text that Paul has written. The Holy Spirit has let him know Onesimus is repentant and a changed man. Forgiveness, what does it look like? I restore him, I receive him, and, I, and there's restitution, but Paul will pay. And then he knows why he should forgive. He's got a huge debt that was paid for by Jesus. He needs to be obedient to the Lord. He wants to impact others with joyful, refreshing ministries. And he's got accountability with a lot of people. He doesn't have much choice, I think. I think the love of this text and the love of God is going to overwhelm Philemon where he can just say, I will forgive this man and bring him back in. But the last verse verse brings it all together. The grace the unmerited favor of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. A reminder, Philemon, God has given you love you don't deserve. Give love to Onesimus who doesn't deserve it either. Amen. And I think right there, Philemon is reminded, this is all by God's grace. I have to be gracious to others. How do you do it? Quickly. Here's how you do it. In Matthew 18. Okay, we don't have to go there, but just listen. Because of our time. When you want to reconcile with somebody, Matthew 18 says there's a confidential step. If your brother has offended you, you go to him immediately and tell him. Tell him what's happened. Tell him the fault. And if he receives you, it's done. There's reconciliation. There's trust. There's honesty. There's humility. The relationship's restored. You do it one-on-one. Do not broadcast it to everybody. Don't say, well, did you hear what Melissa did to me? I'll tell you that. But, oh, did you hear what Melissa did to me? Oh, I'll tell you about her in a minute. And then you go on and on, and pretty soon everybody knows but the one. You go to the one. You don't go to anybody but that one that's been offended, that, you've, that has offended you. If your brother sins against you, go to him alone and tell him his fault. And if he seeks forgiveness, 
restore him to that relationship. Now, what happens if he doesn't or she doesn't? What happens in that situation is the next step of Matthew 18, and it's the confirmational step. The first one's confidential. The second one's confirmational. That's when you bring two or three witnesses. Now you, got an, you have an Aristarchus and an Epaphras and a Demas that have now gotten together, and here's the issue, here's the problem. Forgiveness has not been granted or given, so we now have an issue. Now we've got two or three people that have got to get involved, and together, let's work and have repentance. And if the person repents and confesses, then the relationship is restored. But if the person says, nope, I won't do it, I refuse to reconcile the relationship, I, I refuse to acknowledge my part of it or whatever, my, my sin, then it goes to the church step, the congregational step. So it's one-on-one, confidential, then it's confirmational, and then it's congregational. Why should the whole church get involved? Because we are one body in Christ. And if there's illness in the body, you have to deal with it, or the body gets very sick very quickly. So then it's the congregational step. The whole church gets involved and hears the matter, and then the church, and then the church, once the church hears the matter, the individual can then repent and be restored. But what if even after that step, the person will not repent? Then you remove them from the fellowship. They cannot be here. We cannot eat with them. We cannot fellowship with them. They are like the last. What do we do? We preach the gospel to them. Because if after the one-on-one step, and after the two-to-three with one, and after the congregation with one, if still their heart is, is hard, treat them like they're lost. They need the gospel. They need to know their sins are forgiven by Jesus, and then they can forgive others. That's the, and the goal is always restoration. It is never punishment. When somebody is removed from the church family, it's not out of punishment. It's out of, we hope that they will now understand the gravity of sin and what it's done to the whole church. And once they repent of their sin, then we bring them back in. And the relationship's restored. And so that's always the goal. So God has given us clearly what the goal is. But I want to just share one last thing, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. It is not always possible to reconcile. And we'll have to get into this at at another time. If the breach of trust is so bad, so badly eroded, it is possible that full reconciliation can never take place. It is very possible. Partial reconciliation may take place where forgiveness is granted, but you just can never have the same relationship again. That's possible. I mean, that does happen. Maybe the trust is not there and the the, uh, honesty is not there, but at least forgiveness has been given and granted and received. But I think there are times when, because of the gravity of the sin, or even the fact, I think, that there's no repentance, that no reconciliation can take place. Can God reconcile an unbeliever who doesn't confess their sin, who doesn't, who's not broken over their sin, who doesn't place their faith in Jesus? The answer is no. They're not reconciled to him. Reconciliation's available, but it's not there. So, um, but we'll talk more about that. But I want you to just realize the most tender things on earth are are, our relationships. They really are. And they're the most vital. The strength of our church will lie on our relationships. And the world will see that we love one another, and they'll be like, that is unique. That is different. 
I want to be a part of that. Show me the love of God that makes that possible. So that's the goal, is to make God's name great here in Hermantown. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, um, thank you so much for this opportunity to continue to look at Philemon and just to realize the goal of reconciling relationships. Thank you again for the treasure of this book. And I'm sure that Philemon received Onesimus and there was a great rejoicing as the whole church was strengthened. Help us again to love one another, to serve one another as we wait for the day of Christ. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.